Today I have the privilege of speaking with Professor Katrine Vellesen Löken, the 2017 Nils Klim Laureate. Löken is a professor of economics at the University of Bergen, where she received her PhD in 2010. Her research focuses mainly on family and labor policy studies, and her topics cover key issues of the Nordic welfare states. In 2015, she became the youngest female Norwegian economy professor ever. Professor Löken, you became professor of economics at the age of 31. I would like to explore some of the paths that have led you to where you are today. When and why were you initially drawn to economics? And was a career in academia your goal when you were very young? Uh, yes, so I had no idea what I wanted to be when I finished high school. Uh, so like I think a lot of young people um, don't know exactly what they want to be. But I, I did like the combination of uh, of math, math and, and social science. And, uh, and then a lot of people told me that economics is a, is a good combination of those two and you should try that. So that's why I tried, um, uh, uh, tried a bachelor in, in economics. Uh, and then after that, it uh, I did a master, and then I was not sure what I wanted to be then either. So, uh, but then I got um, uh, someone asked me if I wanted to do a PhD in economics, uh, in on the topic in family economics, and I found I it, I think it looked very interesting. So I, I uh, yeah I uh, decided to do that then in. Uh, were there partic particular um, policy areas uh, or aspects of the policy areas that piqued your interests uh, during your studies that led you into well led you to where you are today? Uh, so uh, in my master, I actually liked macroeconomics more uh, than uh, uh, microeconomics, which is what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think um, the reason why I I, uh, I um, ended up doing more like family health. Uh, and labor economics was that I started on this uh, grant on in family economics uh, on the PhD, and then when I started that topic, that I became very interested in in that because I did a lot of research on that, and then then I started to to do more and uh, more uh, uh, explore more topics within within macroeconomics. So. Hmm. so, at a young age, you have published articles in some of the most prestigious journals in your field. Is there a recipe for your success? You think? Unfortunately, it's not a recipe. I think uh, uh, it's kind of cliche. So you have to work uh, hard in uh, in um, at uh, especially at uh, critical periods. Uh, uh, it, it's hard work in your PhD, and it's uh, very hard work after your PhD uh, if you want to pursue an academic career. Uh, but it's also you have to have a little bit of luck in the sense that you have to uh, be on a topic that's on the, um, uh, also that's uh, popular in in. Uh, at that time in, in, in uh, publications and you have to kind of be on the forefront. And uh, one uh, tip I could have is to have that the network is extremely important, that you ha you cannot do it, like it's very few people that do this on your own. So if you want to do an academic career, it's extremely important that you uh, work hard, uh, work with your, uh, with a, have a good supervisor that support you and that you uh, build up a network uh, internationally and uh, that can both that you can both work with, but that can also uh, so so that more people see your work and that uh, that it gets uh, the attention that it needs to to also get published. So, hmm. I suppose anyway, um, for your kind of success, uh, you have, must have a lot of devotion and dedication and uh, um, a general passion for what you do. 
So um, is there any particular things about your um, topics and your research and uh, um, that inspires you? I'm definitely inspired a lot by um, uh, by uh, social policy in general. That like how how inequality and how do the society looks like, and how can we describe and understand the structures in different countries, and uh, how the policy should uh, help uh, people that everyone can get a better uh, better possibilities and life and so on. So it's I think the, all of these kind of social aspect is is one of my uh, core interests and. Uh, so, so you do have a desire to affect change? Uh, definitely. It's, I, I don't believe that it's like one one researcher that will um, that will be that that can change the, <laughs> the world or something like that. But I do be- believe that uh, as a researcher, you can you can be a, uh, an, an important piece of the puzzle towards uh, social change. Mm. Now, for the last two years, you have been getting quite a bit of attention as a young female professor in economics. How do you feel about that kind of attention? Um, so I kind of like it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, It's been uh, uh, fun to, to meet a lot of people also outside of academia. Uh, and it's been inspiring and it's also... Uh, one of the main reasons you do it is that it's is to that you want to inform the public and uh, politicians and and so on about uh, your findings and what it could mean for for someone and and so on. So, yeah. Has the fact that you're a young woman influenced your research interests in any way? Not really. I think uh, I'm definitely interested in topics and. And findings uh, by gender, and and there is a lot of issues um, still in um, in uh, in also in kind of Norway and Nordic countries uh, where we have better gender equality, but there is still a lot of uh, issues that concerns differences by gender in the in the labor market and education and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in some ways, I find socioeconomic status and background and equal opportunities and so on more interesting than than the gender per se so i'm i'm i don't think the fact that i'm a female means that i do more want to, so i'm more focused on on the on the gender in some sense I, I think the social aspects of it is more interesting in so yeah have you encountered any stereotyping in your studies or your career Not that much. In, in not in Norway, at least. Yeah. I think in Norway, it's uh, we 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 have a good um, foundation for like kind of if anything, you you are uh, backed more and uh, get more support if you are a woman. I think. Right. Uh, and I haven't met many stereotypes here. I think if you go more internationally and talk to people more, so I haven't met them in, uh, myself personally international, but you hear much more stories about stereotypes in mm. in academia in uh, in other countries mm. where it's much more of the. Um, um, uh, or stereotypes towards uh, you should not have children because that will hurt your career or something like that. Like, yeah. But you do both, don't you? I mean, you are a mother of two, is that right? Yeah, and, that's uh, right. Mm. Um, and you're also obviously a very successful uh, young professor. So uh, is it hard to combine family life and, and, and excelling mm. um, in your career like that? Um, it's definitely possible. It's easier in the in Norway than in many other countries with with um, family policies we have. 
uh, which is easier in many jobs, of course. Mm. Uh, I think it's uh, it's uh, academia is a tough profession to to have family and a career. Definitely, it's tougher than many other jobs uh, in uh, in the public sector, for example, and so on. Mm. Uh, it's it's not necessarily tougher than if you if you have this uh, to to be CEOs and this this. So that so. but it's definitely a tough uh, profession to have family and a career, uh, especially in the early stages uh, when when you build up your career. So I, I had children after I did my PhD and uh, mm. and uh, postdoc period. So that so so in that sense I had already b- built up a lot of the foundation for for the uh, career that helps a lot. But uh, but of course it's not possible for everyone to wait. It depends a lot on on, on the situation. So uh, mm. uh, I think it's it is it is difficult difficult and that's also probably why we see fewer women in uh, in the um, in the uh, succeeding in academia. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your research and some key aspects and findings. You've studied mm-hmm. the impact of state policies on individual behavior in various contexts, and your topics have covered key issues of the Nordic welfare states. Let's start with your primary research topic within economics, family policy studies. Um, tell me about your doctoral thesis. Yes, so my doctoral thesis uh, covered some different topics, but one of the main paper was on the effect of maternity leave on uh, uh, children's outcomes in, in the, um, both in education and labor market. So, so the main question was uh, if it's um, uh, if it's uh, beneficial for for children's long term outcome if the mother is more home within the first year of, of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, alternative to the mother was typically um, uh, nannies or grandparents or. or or something like that, mm. uh, and then we find that uh, uh, we find a positive effect both on education and and uh, income for for the children of having mother and more at home in the first six months of uh, right. of their life. Right. Uh, so that was kind of the main main finding on that. Mm. So, uh, are you able to say how long uh, children should be home with? Their mother. Uh, uh, so we cannot pin, pin, pinpoint. <laughs> I don't think it's possible to pinpoint exact month, uh, but we do have a follow-up study that we did after my PhD with some colleagues that that find uh, that when we look at all the extensions after s- about six months of leave, we don't find a difference. Uh, we don't find any impact on the on children uh, from whether it's the mother or the father and or the grandparents or or high quality providers that that take care of the the children. And this is supported by a lot of research internationally too now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that after about six months, it's it's you you don't see much differences between children that has been taken care of by the mother or some other pro- like kind of high quality provider. It's it's of course a difference if you if you if you are if you don't have a prime care uh, provider when you are still very young. It's, um, right, right, right. Uh, but uh, doesn't children, have to be the mother. <laughs> right, but children who who. Uh, or home, who spend time with their mothers more during the first six months, do demonstratively better at school and later on um, in their um, uh, job markets. Yeah. Right. But this is something that sounds like it should have huge implications uh, for you know the uh, um, social policies in, in many countries. Yeah, so we have tried to push this a little bit in, for example, the U.S. So, so most European countries have maternity policies uh, that's uh, supporting mothers for the first almost four to six months. Is kind of, a, I think, in in the EU countries, the average is about four, 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 four or five months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for example, in the U.S., they don't have any uh, any um, uh, universal policy for 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 leave at all. 
they only have uh, a few months unpaid leave and that's not even universal that's only dependent on uh, some on type of jobs and so so right, right. Uh, so that's uh, definitely one of the countries where where we have tried to push this research a little bit uh, hmm. because basically what you're saying is that uh, maternity leave uh, to some extent is obviously uh, hugely beneficial to society in the long term I guess what, what so we don't find that big a face. So you have to be, you always have to be um, also concerned about the cost of it, of course. Exactly. So yeah. there are benefits for sure, uh, but there are also costs of having these type of, of programs. Uh, there, there is a distortion cost in the sense that um, that you do uh, pay, uh, you you have a tax on the, on everyone, and it's only the ones that have children that that get the benefit, yeah. so and not so on. And you also have an administration cost of having these type of programs. Uh, so there is cost that you also have to think about, uh, and there is a distribution, a redistribution cost that is going from those not having children to those having children. And in most societies, those having children are more um, uh, well off than those that don't have children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that sense, the redistribution of family policies are are not necessarily uh, uh, towards the the poor that you usually want to redistribute towards. So it's, uh, there are issues too. Exactly. So in the Nordic countries, obviously, we have uh, some um, uh, rather expansive um, welfare programs, and particularly with uh, respect to maternity leave. So do you think they're um, uh, too um, too expensive, or too expensive, or, or do you think uh, is there some middle ground, or, or is that difficult to say? Um it comes back to the cost that I just discussed mm-hmm. and we don't see much benefits after than about six months. So the the, the policies after six six to nine months or something in like between them, um, there you can argue that the cost and the, redis- the poor redistribution uh, part, uh, parts of it uh, might be uh, more costly than the if it, any benefits to the families in some sense of, of having this. So then you, s- you could think that the family should pay more of that cost themselves instead of the state being paying it. So it doesn't mean that you cannot be home longer for it. So you should probably have an unpaid uh, leave uh, policy so so that it's possible to to do it. So you don't get the kind of you don't you're not forced to go back. What about paternal leave? Was there any correlation there or? Uh, so, so I haven't done any, any uh, papers directly on father's quota and, uh, and the effect of children. The, it's but some uh, colleagues of mine have, and uh, in most cases they don't find any 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 uh, positive nor negative effects of father's uh, father's quota on children, uh, which in some sense makes sense because the alternative to the father is the mother. So it's so it's it's not clear. so it's it might be it's probably good that the father is more involved, but it's not clear that it will. It should be better than the mother in some sense. Right. Mm. Because I believe Sweden has taken this, I don't know if I should say to the extreme, but they have a, a very generous uh, arrangement, don't they? So it seems Yeah, that Sweden has even more, uh, more um, uh, even longer paid uh, parental leave than Norway, that's true. Right. Mm. So they, they, I think Norway has a higher um, uh, coverage, so, so we pay, mm. uh, so I think that it's a little bit lower in uh, Sweden. Which means that some people don't use it, but it, it's quite common to stay home for for one and a half year in Sweden. I think. But there's no clear case to be made for uh, expanding the paternal leave even long, even more than. No, I'm. Uh, I don't. I don't think that's uh, that's a good idea. Right. <laughs> um, is there any particular angle to these topics in the Nordic countries due to the Nordic welfare model, the way it's structured? 
Yes, uh, so definitely the family policies. If we go, if we talk about that again, it's it's more generous in the Nordic countries than most other uh, other countries. Um, so in that sense, I, I think. But but uh, that's that also make it as um, uh, an inspiration for other countries in some sense. So it's still very in- interesting to study the the programs here because then uh, if there are if we do find a beneficial effect of of the family policies in other countries. Other countries could follow up uh, and, and expand their programs and, and so on. Mm. Uh, and also, if we go back in time, it's not, it's not, it was not that generous in the 70s and 80s and so on. So if we use the reforms then, we can definitely learn about margins that's very relevant for m- lots of countries today. Mm. Uh, so, that's, um, so in that sense, the Nordic welfare states are very um, uh, are popular uh, kind of... Uh, uh, research uh, countries to, to look to, to look at. Mm. Let's talk about uh, a bit about health sciences. Um, what is um, could you describe some of your research in that area and some of your key findings? Yes. So we became some interested in um, in doing a project on um, uh, the effect of medical. Um, expenditure in hospitals uh, on child outcomes. When I was uh, visiting um, University of San Diego, University College San Diego in uh, in 2011, I think, and then I met one researcher there that uh, that uh, had some very interesting data from Chile on this. Uh, and then I uh, we combined that together with the Norwegian registered data to look at the effect then on uh, extra medical care for for newborns. Uh, that's uh, around 1500 grams, so very low birth weight uh, newborns uh, to see if it matters to give them more um, medical uh, uh, attention in hospitals. So, for example, give you to uh, get access to um, um, uh, to um, uh, neonatal uh, intensive care units. So that having more medicines and more uh, yeah, uh, this kind of things. And what were your key findings? <laughs> the key findings was that for both countries, we did find that if you got more uh, more uh, medical care um, in the first days after after you are born, uh, you do better in school. Uh, all when we can follow you up to up to age sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it seemed to really matter to gi- to give these children the care uh, in hospitals. So. You've also done research in criminology. Um, and you are presently doing a long-term study on the economic implications of how we structure our criminal system. Um, you're taking part in the research project, The Social Cost of Incarceration, the largest study of imprisonment and return to a normal life that has ever been conducted in Europe. Could you explain what this project is about and what is, some of the key findings are? Yeah, so this was a, also a new kind of... Um research topic that I got interested in when I was in San Diego. So this is something I do with another colleague from from uh, San Diego and also together with um, uh, Magne Mogstow, who is a professor in Chicago, but, is, but has his PhD from University of Oslo, so he's from Norway. Uh, and uh, we started to, to, we saw a project on the effect of uh, incarceration on uh, on uh, on the criminal after he, he gets out of jail, so how... how um, uh, do you uh, return to a life of crime, or do, or or can, or can you uh, get back to the uh, to the to a normal life and get a job and get uh, kind of uh, out of a life of crime? Uh, and then uh, this paper that we we saw in uh, in the U.S. was on very poor data and could not really 
pinpoint the effect of incarceration from everything else that that leads you to to be incarcerated. Uh, so then we 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 got the idea to get this uh, more high quality data from Norway to look into into this question, and it took us four years to be able to access this uh, this data that we ended up doing. So this uh, project only started uh, last year, uh, but we have now the first paper coming out, which is the uh, looking at exactly that question. So what is the effect of of incarceration on the on the uh, criminal when he when he gets out? And okay. I say he because it's almost only males. But, right, uh, and the recidivism rate. Exactly. Right. And, and what were you, your key findings there? So our key finding is that um, uh, if you uh, are sent to, uh, to prison, uh, you're less likely to commit more right, crime right. Mm, and more likely to return to the labor market than if you get alternative punishments. Uh, so, for example, community service or, um, uh, or uh, probation, uh, which is the two main alternatives. Mm. Why is that, do you believe? Uh, so we uh, try to look into into that, and we we do find that this is mostly driven by those that were, were unemployed before they um, before they got to, uh, got to, uh, did a criminal uh, offense and and were incarcerated, uh, and also the same people that was unemployed uh, are also more likely to be on uh, labor market programs in in prison, and then also more likely to be employed afterwards. So it really seems to be the education labor market programs in prison that was driving the the this findings of getting these people out of uh, life of crime. Mm. Mm. Now, uh, I suppose from from a um, uh, layman's perspective, you could argue that, well, the threat of, uh, of uh, going to prison um, in itself would have some effects on um, keeping criminals straight. I mean, how do we know if the correlation between prison sentences and low recidivism rates are due to successful education programs or simply the preventive effect that incarceration presumably has compared to less severe forms of punishment? That's a hard question, I think. Uh, firstly, I don't think that what we find is the correlation between prison sentence and recidivism because we are really carefully looking into the causal effect of incarceration by looking at the exact same type of criminals doing exactly the same type of crime. Some uh, judges are uh, more lenient than, than others. Uh, and since it's random which judge you mean, sometimes you get a, a, a prison sentence and sometimes you don't for the same type of crime. Mm. Uh, so in that sense, we look at the, uh, the causal effect of incarceration. Uh, but when you try to look into the mechanism of whether this is... Um, uh, prison, the p- programs in prison that drives the, the effect we find, or whether it's uh, uh, it's more this uh, preventive effect of, of prison. Uh, I don't think we can fully uh, ex- uh, fully um, uh, separate these two. Uh, mm-hmm. But the findings we we find that the, it, this is really driven by by the unemployed and going through these education programs uh, be, uh, kind of are, uh, goes against the preventive effect which should work for everyone it should also work for uh, for those that were employed before and so on so it's it you have to have a story that wh- why that uh, the preventive effect should only work for the some groups and not others uh, so the sub kind of the subgroup analysis of our study is really pointing towards the uh, rehabilitation as the more important path of the findings not really the could there be a, a combination of effects? Uh, there could could of course be a be a combination. We, we we so we don't have a way. We haven't been able to think of a way to really pinpoint the preventive effect of prison. There could still be a preventive effect, uh, but it's not. Uh, it's likely not driving the main findings we have in okay. our paper. It's kind of our. Mm. So this is not really um, a case for uh, more severe 
punishment, is it? I mean, if rehabilitation programs in prison are successful, is it your opinion that more offenders should be incarcerated? No. No. <laughs> uh, that's a short answer. I'll, I'll try to elaborate. I think it's very important to distinguish between kind of the moral and, uh, uh, and uh, kind of juridical uh, uh, reasons for having uh, having uh, prison. Mm. Uh, so there is a um, you have some uh, some uh, arguments for having prison because uh, because of um, uh, prevention, but also because of uh, um, yeah. And so on, uh, but but then uh, so, so so our study is more about like if if you say that we now have prison and we we have some clear rules about uh, who should be sent to prison, uh, when they are sent to prison, how can we uh, organize the prisons in the best way to 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 get these people uh, back in in uh, in society and, and and not returning to crime? Mm. Uh, so I think it's more about how to organize prison than. Uh, than to the question of whether to have prison or not, because the main arguments there is prob- uh, is that, or w- one of the tough questions there is about um, um, uh, the lack of freedom, and that's kind of a more more like a moral argument, and 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 how uh, at what kind of um, for what type of crime you should take a, a away the the freedom of people. It's it's not really um, kind of a, something we can look at with the data, I think. Right. It's more like a, a normative argument. Right. Um, still, is it hard to to separate the normative from the descriptive? Sometimes, I suppose, both in studies like these and, and others. I think yeah, I th- find it very hard. Uh, it's definitely very hard for politicians to. A lot of politicians end up using the, the, the analysis and disc- data and descriptions. Uh, uh, f- more more for than for an uh, for 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 question that maybe should not should be more normative. Um, before leaving this topic uh, completely, I suppose it's um, well known that Norway and other Scandinavian countries have uh, very low recidivism rates compared to um, a lot of other other countries um, like the U.S., for instance. So and also the criminal justice system and the prison system is vastly dif- different, of course. So is this a case to be made for the uh, Scandinavian model, if you like, more than the uh, more severe, um, perhaps draconian um, American model, for example? Uh, we believe that, at least. <laughs> so that we definitely try to push push it like that. Right. Uh, so, so this is like an example that prison, uh, pro- uh, prison that, that has a focus on rehabilitation can actually work and um, it's not been much research that has been able to 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 look at this costly and uh, i think we are one of the first paper we argued that at least that that ha- that find this uh, ha- have this finding uh, so if you have there are some papers in the us for example looking at this and if anything they do find the opposite uh, either they don't find much effect or they find that uh, prisons uh, uh, increase recidivism and decrease employment uh, so that type of system that they, for example, have in the U.S. seems to be, um, uh, it seems to not not work very well when you think about the uh, the outcomes after uh, for the prisoners afterwards. Mm. Uh, but this can also be a, an artifact of the labor market itself too. Not only the prison that it's much harder for convicts to enter the labor market after. There's a famous scene that comes to mind from. Um one of the movies on Michael Moore, I don't know if you've seen it, but where he visits, I think it's, is it Boste? Yeah. And uh, is that the kind of uh, 
prison you'd like to see more of? Is that is it some kind of ideal uh, prison? It's difficult to say, yeah. obviously. <laughs> it's uh, a Boste is an open open prison, uh, which has prisoners that either have quite, uh, I think, uh, either has not committed the most severe crimes or it's an, at the end of a long sentence. Uh, so I think um, it's reason to believe that this type of open, less uh, it's uh, security type of prisons are good, but it's we don't have a lot of research on that, so we haven't we haven't been able to 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 separate. Uh, type of uh, kind of uh, type of prisons in in our study yet, but we definitely are thinking about looking into it. And there is and one paper now from from Italy that that looks at one type of open prison that has some interesting variation there on who is sent there, and they find that uh, that uh, that is good for uh, that it's better to be in the open prisons when it look when they look at recidivism, for example. So mm. there is reason to believe that that this type of um, uh, prisons are. Uh, are uh, something we should uh, we should uh, yeah uh, continue to to use and maybe even increase the, the use of. Let me ask a more general question. Um, why would you say that your research is important in general, and what are the most important aspects of it? Do you think? Or to put it in another way, do you have a broader aim with your work? Yes. Yeah, so I do believe that. Um, that policy should be found, social policy should be founded on on, on good research and, and knowledge. Uh, I think that's maybe very important today when we see uh, some parts of the world uh, where politicians don't really believe in this. And uh, this is um, definitely on my uh, uh, on one of my aims to 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 increase knowledge on things that we uh, that can can provide a good uh, policy foundations for for the future. Right. So, following up on that, your research has evident relevance for policymaking and for society as a whole. How important is that for you, both as a general motivation and when choosing specific research topics? It's definitely important. Um, uh, I think uh, when choosing specific topic, it's um, sometimes a little bit of a kind of you stumble upon some some ideas more than uh, that this topic is something I really so it's uh, the research I do we are very dependent on on um, on having the uh, the data uh, to look into the questions that we want to uh, and what type of data we have is also a long process and uh, um, and so so it's uh, it's not always that you have the data to look into the question that you are interested in unfortunately uh, but we, we try to find a good combination of, of getting the the data and uh, and uh, and uh, to look into the questions that we are most interested in about, and then definitely the what is the key on uh, issues in society will be very important for that. I understand that you're often in contact with policymakers in order to highlight the necessity of a scientific basis for future welfare reforms. Would you say that? You have been successful in making politicians listen to you. <laughs> uh, I think that's hard uh, because pol politics is a lot about ide uh, ideology and um, political preferences are key to, to what they believe in. Uh, and the party, the different party kind of pick the research that they, they are, that fits their profiles, I think, a lot. You see that a lot. For example, uh, economists have been pushing the... Um, 
in Norway has been pushing uh, arguments against uh, the um, uh, cash for care uh, benefit uh, all from, from, from the beginning before it was uh, introduced in uh, 1998 uh, and uh, having quite strong arguments against, uh, against uh, that, that uh, type of policy because of the um, uh, because of the and, and, uh, negative effects both on, uh, and, and especially on gender equality. Uh, but but uh, still the, the the party politics uh, and and the, how the how it, the system works in Norway means that it, uh, that uh, it it's, it doesn't have to they don't have to listen to you and and and, uh, and that policy has been in place for now for more than twenty years so so in some sense it, it is it is difficult to 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 get your research into the political debate. Um, what kind of political changes? Have you seen, or do you hope to see, as a result of your own research and the research of others in your field? That's uh, that's also hard because I th- I, uh, like, I think I said that a little bit in the beginning, but I don't think like research from just one person or as one per one group is uh, is going to be uh, kind of the key to to change one policy. Uh, but I do believe that the whole kind of um, field of economics and also maybe so whole of social science together push. Uh, research you now push policies in the in the right directions, and some very important um, uh, huge policy that I've been part of in some sense is this push towards um, uh, the importance of early investment in children, uh, and and that's uh, the, the, the and that, and showing a lot of research and showing that that is really important. Especially we have to invest early on, and we have to invest in 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 those that that uh, that. Uh, comes from a low socioeconomic and, and have a tough start to life because they don't have the resources of, of kind of um, high income families or low high education uh, parents and so on uh, and that type of, uh, of, uh, of research I think has been important also and uh, rippling down to policies and uh, been been one of the reasons why um, uh, many many countries have, have invested a lot in in, in early childcare. Uh, getting immigrants' uh, children into childcare, uh, improving schools, and and so on. So, so I do really believe it's important, but I, I think it's very hard to pinpoint kind of um, one study or or something like that. Mm-hmm. Your research has had an impact well beyond the Nordic contexts. Tell me about what happened in Nepal. Yeah, so that's related to the study we have with uh, with um, my colleague in in. Um, in San Diego, Prashant Bharadwai, who had this, where we did this study on, on Norway and Chile on the low birth weight children. Uh, and then uh, he was uh, con- contacted by the government in Nepal to, to come and present our study because they wanted to uh, to introduce uh, the, this type of neonatal intensive care in Nepal that didn't really have any any offer for the for the newborns at that uh, some t- so back in time, and now they have been building up this uh, this in Nepal. And, uh, it's of course not only our study, but I think he uh, Prashant has been uh, been an influential. So my colleague has been an influential voice, I think, in in how to build this up and uh, and the importance of it and so on. So uh, so it's definitely one example where you, where I think we have kind of. Um, been one part of the puzzle towards making a uh, social change that's uh, that's important right mm. so uh, what were some of the things that they did um 
specifically? I mean, your the research that you took part in had some uh, specific impact, didn't it? Yeah. So, so in 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 the sense that um, they had like an advisory, so they they had it was a political game towards whether they should invest in in this uh, type of. Uh, care for for newborns mm. in Nepal and, and they had like an um, an advisory board uh, uh, to 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 kind of back get the arguments towards whether they should should invest right. uh, and in that part we were, uh, my my colleague was part on that and uh, was pushing for for that so in so it's so that's what's kind of how mm. uh, how we how we influenced it together with many other other people but, uh, but and and they they ended up uh, investing a lot of money to this so they yeah so, so in that sense. I'd like to ask you a bit about the field of economics. The Niels Klim Committee cites how you have brought key issues of welfare state family policies into the center of attention in the field of economics and how your research stands out by crossing a number of disciplinary boundaries. Do you believe that the field of economics could benefit from more interdisciplinary research? And if so, in, in what way? So economics have actually been uh, kind of trickling down to a lot of uh, interdisciplinary work the last, uh, especially the last uh, 20, 20 years. Uh, so uh, as economics was kind of very theoretical and very kind of um, based on um, uh, on some um, strong assumptions from before, we have started with, especially with uh, getting much more data and methods towards doing empirical research. Uh, I think economists have gone into a lot of questions in, in sociology, criminology, psychology, um, medical research and so on. So uh, so in that sense, it's it's been expanding a lot, I think. Uh, but uh, when it comes to, uh, and, and also getting a lot, getting a lot of um, um a lot of collaborations in the sense that we uh, many many researchers in social science talk together and meet together and uh, are are, uh, are present. When it comes to collaborations in the sense that you do you work together across disciplines, it's always more difficult because of the different fields have the very different uh, ways to kind of uh, publish and uh, get uh, exceptions for publications and um, and so on. So so that is a little bit more uh, tricky, but. Uh, uh, but I think we are we are on the way to getting better on this. Mm. Following up on that, how does the field of economics contribute to our understanding of society in a way that other fields cannot, would you say? What methods and insights are central to your take on societal challenges? So... In my opinion, I think economics has been in the forefront on on uh, on, uh, on methods, uh, on them kind of getting better methods towards getting at the uh, causal effects of, of policy. And for to 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 understand like the the the, the, um, uh, the effect of policy, you really have to kind of uh, look into methods that can separate the effect of the policy from everything else that happens in society. Since it's everything happens at the same time, it is a very hard task to to do that. And that's where economics has been, I think, uh, uh, kind of departing from other social uh, sciences uh, in the last years. And many other fields are, are actually coming, coming, I think, in, and um, starting to, to use more of this type of same, same methods and so on. Mm. Even though you're young, would you say that the field of economics has changed in any significant way during your career? Um, yes, I think so. Uh, I think 
it did start maybe a little bit before, uh, but it, I was part of it. And uh, the, the, the big change is that this same kind of idea I just talked about, that it's gone from a theoretical um, uh, uh, topic to, towards much more empirical research. Uh, so if you look at w- what is published in the in the top uh, economics journals these days, it's it's um, uh, much more empirical work than than theoretical uh, work, um, and this uh, b- b- this kind of um, t- uh, empirical work is um, is uh, in that sense the Nordic countries has been uh, has been um, successful since we have very good access to 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 raise the data in the Nordic countries that they don't have in many other countries. We can answer some questions that's not possible other places, which has led some of the, uh, has been kind of a, a, a spur to the Nordic countries' research in economics, I think. Yeah. Much more successful this, uh, the last 10 years than we were before. Yeah. Right, right. In recent years, after the financial crisis of 2008, there's been a great deal of controversy about the lack of theoretical and methodical pluralism in the field of economics, both in Norway and abroad. A common criticism is that economics in universities is narrow and critical and detached from the real world. What are your views on these questions, um, as opposed, for example, by the Rethinking Economics Initiative? So this is a big question. So I think uh, I... As an economist, I welcome very much critical views of of, uh, of economics, and also I think critical views of any fields is a very good way to move forward. Uh, so this is it's good that we have uh, more debates uh, about this. Uh, but economics is huge, so I uh, so I think so sometimes we um, uh, some of the critique is a little bit uh, kind of not. Um, uh, pointing to the to 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 all the kind of different. Uh, Areas in in economics, so so the the critic coming after financial crisis is a is very per- peculiar to to macroeconomics and finance, I think, for example, uh, and I'm mostly been working in in um, uh, in empirical econo- no in applied economics and and microeconomics, uh, which I think is in, in in if anything is in the in in front of uh, of uh, social sciences on on thinking about the real world, describing, understanding real world problems, uh, core social is- issues as inequality, redistribution, uh, why we have problems with redistribution, on the trade and globalization questions, on immigration questions and so on. Uh, so so in that sense, I think uh, the critique is a little bit uh, not... Um, uh, hitting the, the so yeah, uh, it's the, not really applicable to to your field. Exactly. Mm. Now, alongside your research efforts, you've also been an active participant in public debates, and you have contributed to such newspapers as Bergens Tidene, Aftenposten, and Dagens Næringsliv. Why do you consider such participation an important part of your role as a researcher? So I think it's extremely important that we, we get the research out to the public and uh, pol- politicians and so on. And media is a, is a very um, a good platform for that since they are, have kind of a, uh, they don't have a, a, a strong uh, claim to, to, to an ideology or like a uh, platform. So they, they can be critical towards uh, both the uh, the researcher and the politicians' views and and so on, so so in that sense, I think uh, media is very important, and I uh, 
I, be- I believe it's one of the best platforms to, to get your research out. Mm. As a participant in the public debates, um, we touched upon this briefly, but are there any major welfare reform- reforms that you would like to see in the years ahead, uh, something you believe would be uh, uh, beneficial to the public at large? Um, I do think it's probably not a good idea to do very big changes in in Norway, especially. Uh, we have to be careful. Like it's um, uh, it's uh, we we are we are country very very we are a small country that's very dependent on on the on the world, but we also have a fairly. Uh, high standard of living uh, and and so on, and we 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 have policies that um, uh, 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 that do seem to to work pretty well towards uh, both uh, um, having high labor force participation, and having a good balance between uh, family and and la- work life and so on. Uh, we definitely have have possibilities to uh, to get some of the programs. Um, uh, more sustainable in the sense that if uh, that some of them get too expensive, so we have to cut a little bit, and we have to make um, the programs uh, more towards the kind of more modern in the sense that we have to get the incentives to to work and get the balance on the programs right and so on. But these are more small changes than than the big changes to to, to this stuff. Mm-hmm. So the welfare state as a whole, do you believe, is sustainable, uh, more or less the way it is? Uh, it's uh, at at least how how we structure it now. It it looks like that. It, uh, but of course, it's very hard to predict the future. So it can be, and uh, there are very interesting social changes and happening very quickly in, on techno- technology and and so on, which which might um, it might mean that we have to rethink a lot of these things. Uh, yeah, mm. but uh, but uh, I'm not sure we should do that before. <laughs> we we have to see a little bit also how how things uh, move. So mm. right. Mm. Lastly, what are your research plans now? Are you planning any specific new project in the near future? What does the future hold? So the big future for me for the at least the next five years is to is to continue more on the um, on the projects on incarceration and, and crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have uh, we have a grant for a couple of more years, and we have also applied for a huge uh, grant from the EU, so which I'm hoping we can get. Uh, other or we will explore other type of grants, and then. Uh, some ideas we have is to look into uh, the effect of incarceration on also on the uh, network of the uh, defendants, so for example, on the children and spouse and uh, family members, uh, and also look at the um, effect of um, uh, of crime on on the on the victim and not only on the uh, on the criminal, uh, and also on, um, to look more on networks of criminals in general and how the kind of the um, uh, uh, how networks of criminals work together instead of only looking at the individual in itself. So it's we have a lot of ideas and to to explore. Exciting work, Professor Lurken. Thank you very much and congratulations on being selected the uh, 2017 Nils Klim Laureate. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be to be selected.